It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Thus saith Macbeth. Could he have been referring to the thimerosal brain damage controversy? To find out, join me, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. My guest today is Dr. William Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a psychologist, epidemiologist, and biostatistician at the National Center for Immunizations and Respiratory Diseases, Influenza Division, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. He has served in the office of the Chief Science Officer, Immunization Safety Office at the CDC. Today we are discussing the controversial issues surrounding mercury and brain development. Hi, Dr. Thompson. Hello, Dr. Rudenberg. Thank you so much for giving us your time today and joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you for having me. As a pediatrician, I have to say, I was thrilled with the results of your study. Could you share with our audience some background information on the controversy regarding the effects of mercury and thimerosal on the developing brain and the neuropsychological findings? Yes. The study was designed as a follow-up study to an earlier CDC screening study, and the controversy arose when we found out in the mid-1990s that we were giving children vaccines that contain thimerosal, which is 50% mercury by weight. And when you summed up the doses that were given in the first six months of life, it exceeded the Environmental Protection Agency's safety threshold with regard to mercury exposure. Thimerosal contains ethylmercury, and it's 50% mercury by weight. Ethyl mercury is different than methyl mercury, and methyl mercury is the mercury that you can be exposed to by consuming certain types of fish. So the EPA safety threshold was based on studies of prenatal fish consumption and were based on methyl mercury exposure data. So this study was designed to look at whether ethyl mercury had significant effects on neuropsychological development similar to the methylmercury fish studies. So it was designed very similar to these previous studies and was attempting to see if we could find similar associations between the ethylmercury exposure and neuropsychological outcomes. As just an aside, does that mean I'm safer getting my omega-3s from pills and tablets as opposed to eating fish like the cardiologists tell us to do? I think there's still a debate about how much and which fish are the best fish to consume, but my guess is getting it from another source that doesn't have the potential to expose you to mercury is not a bad idea. Now, methylmercury is the known neurotoxin. It seems like there's just very little basic science information about ethylmercury. Is that also something the CDC is looking at or other organizations? Well, there have been some animal studies suggesting potential associations between ethylmercury exposure and neurodevelopment. And those studies are difficult to interpret and difficult to extend to the human studies. And there's very few studies, human studies, that have actually looked closely at actual ethylmercury exposure from vaccines and immune globulins 
and subsequent neuropsychological performance. So this study was a follow-up to one of those studies, the CDC screening study. And in the CDC screening study, we found that a potential association between ethylmercury exposure and tics and ethylmercury exposure and language delay. But it was using very imprecise measures that went through medical records and tried to determine whether you had certain conditions in your medical records. So it wasn't as reliable an outcome as we would have liked. So we designed this study in which we carry, we brought in children for a three-hour neuropsychological test battery. So it was a very objective measure of the performance of these kids. And as I said, it was very similar to the methylmercury studies in terms of the strength of the design. Now, this was a large study. How many children were studied and wearing your biostatistician hat? Was the sample size sufficient? The sample size was quite large, so it was actually bigger than the landmark methylmercury fish study. So we studied 1,047 children. We had significant amount of power to detect very small effects. Now, the periods chosen, if I'm correct, were birth to one month of age and then birth through seven months of age. And yet, children are exposed to a number of additional vaccines up to age 18 months. And I was wondering why you didn't extend it out to include the group that was, so to speak, fully immunized until they would go on and get the preschool immunizations. Right. There were two reasons for that. One was a scientific reason, and that was that If you look at early exposure and the thimerosal-containing vaccines that children receive, they receive most of them within the first seven months, and then subsequently you have vaccines recommended in the 12- to 18-month period. So the hypothesis has always been that it was the early ethylmercury exposure that was problematic, and you receive most of your, at the time that these kids received their vaccines, they received most of the mercury-containing vaccines within the first seven months. And the second reason for designing it this way was we had a panel of external experts who provided input, the study design, and they agreed that this birth to seven-month exposure period was an important period to look at. I'd like to welcome those of you who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. William Thompson from the National Center for Immunizations and Respiratory Diseases, Influenza Division at the CDC. We're discussing the impact of early thimerosal exposure and neuropsychological outcomes at 7 to 10 years of age. What were the most surprising findings from the study and the ones that you were most satisfied with? The reassuring part is um, we looked at 42 outcomes, and among those 42 outcomes, there were very few statistically significant effects. So in the manuscript, we present 378 statistical tests and we found that 19 were statistically significant. That represents 5% of the statistical tests. And putting on my biostatistician hat, that's what you would expect by chance. We also found more beneficial associations than harmful associations when we looked at the 19 significant effects. So there were 12 outcomes where higher thimerosal exposure resulted in better performance on the neuropsychological test battery, and there were seven outcomes in which there were increased thimerosal exposure was associated with poorer outcomes. So we mentioned some of the harmful associations in the discussion of the manuscript 
because we don't want to completely dismiss them. They are still possible real associations. And the one set of associations that we thought potentially deserved further study was an association of ticks among boys. So we found that higher thimerosal exposure resulted in more motor ticks and phonic ticks among boys based on the child assessor ratings. We had these child assessors who were trained to pick up ticks and measure ticks during this three-hour test battery. So these are ticks that were still present, or are they ones that may have been previously noted and then have now subsequently resolved? Nope, they're present. So we, we did both parent ratings and trained child assessor ratings. So the child assessor ratings were the significant ones and those are ones that were observed during the three-hour test period. Is there any plan to follow up these children or to do subsequent studies as these children get older to look for any further changes in the data? We are in the process of discussing these results with both internally and externally at the CDC with neurologists, and we haven't made a decision yet whether to design additional studies. We also have another similar study that will come out in the next year, It was carried out in Italy, where children were randomly assigned by chance to thimerosal-containing vaccines and non-thimerosal-containing vaccines. So in that study, it's a large study, 1,400 children, and it also has ticks as an outcome. So we're waiting to see what those results are before we make any final decisions. The thing that I know medical studies, research in general, is never or rarely clear-cut, the positive and negative associations, and then you had stated that they could all be due to chance. I mean, is there a take-home message there? The take-home message is that we really consider these reassuring results. So we believe that the majority of these results were chance findings. The tick findings were relevant because two previous studies had found an association with ticks, but it was only found in boys and the effect was relatively small. So it may sound like a mixed message, but the overall message is that we think it's reassuring that vaccines are safe and that parents should continue to give their vaccines according to the recommended schedules, and vaccines save lives and save kids from being hospitalized. In the 2001 Institute of Medicine's Immunization Safety Review, they concluded that there was inadequate evidence to either accept or reject a causal relationship between thimerosal and neurodevelopmental disorders. Is this study the evidence that was needed to make a final statement on that? I think we're accumulating that evidence. So I think this is one study that would lend support to the hypothesis that thimerosal exposure does not cause neuropsychological problems. We have two other studies, as I mentioned, the Italy study, and then we also have an autism case control study. So we have a study specifically to look at autism because the prevalence of autism is relatively low and can't be studied in the study design of the study we're currently talking about. So we went and observed and assessed 256 kids with autism spectrum disorder, and we matched those kids to three controls and we are going to assess whether their mercury exposure from vaccines predicts or is associated with risk for autism. So we have three big studies that we think were well-designed that will give us that accumulative information necessary to make a a final statement regarding whether thimerosal-containing vaccines were 
safe or harmful. Were there any results that disappointed you? It's difficult to say disappoint because as a scientist, I'm neither happy or disappointed with any particular result. The results are what they are, and we present them in a very transparent way. The thing to understand about this study, too, is we had this external panel of consultants that helped us design the study, they helped us review results, and they helped us with draft manuscripts. So it included biostatisticians, epidemiologists, toxicologists, and included one member from the executive director of Safe Mind, Sally Bernard. And Sally Bernard is the proponent of the idea that thimerosal causes autism. So she was actively involved in the study, and we've been as transparent as possible with the presentation of these results over time and the publication of the manuscript. Our time has just gone by so quickly. I'd like to thank Dr. William Thompson, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the controversy surrounding thimerosal. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.